Um, I'm here with Glenn Lana, and I'm really honoured to be in the space with you today, Glenn, who I've known for many, many years and have worked with uh, over the years in the different places where I have been. You're a prolific writer in the field of family therapy. I think is it over 30 papers and book chapters and co-editor of uh, a book on collaborative practice in psychology. And I know that in your writings, you have written extensively in integrative models of therapy. And I'm, I'm interested to have a conversation today with you about some of your ideas about the merging of clinical psychology and family therapy. And I guess I'm interested in any message that you might be able to give to clinicians out there about thinking about how to bring family therapy into their practice or to at least think about the family. Because I know you've been editor since I think 2011, is that correct? Of yeah. the Australian yeah. Journal of Family Therapy, yes? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've also received an award in 2008, I remembered, the Australian New Zealand Journal of Family Therapy Biennial Award for Distinguished Contribution in Family Therapy. So clearly you've got something to say about this area. So I'd like to start the interview by asking you to describe a little bit about how you work therapeutically. Maybe you want to comment on your work as a clinical psychologist or how you merge that with family therapy practice. Just kind of give us a flavour of the way that you work. Sure. Well, all my writing very much reflects my practice uh, because I've worked for probably 45 years plus in child youth mental health service as a, as a clinical psychologist. I mean, that's my employment. Uh, but since uh, probably the mid-70s, uh, when I started, um, you know, I've always been fascinated by family therapy and was exposed to a whole range of approaches, uh, starting with psychodynamic, Mm. Uh, and object relations ways of working. And of course, Virginia Satir, uh, Gestalt, more body-centered kind of therapies, and as well as uh, Mnuchin structural family therapy. Mm -hmm. And I've had the privilege to go through a lot of the schools of family therapy as yeah. I'm on board, you know, yeah. and, and, and sort of lived, lived them, which has made it easier in one sense, you know, because that's allowed me to have the time to integrate what I need to or what I want to. But I guess what I've been able to kind of think about is in my practice, because I'm, I have been working in a child youth mental health service all those years, it's very client oriented. And mm -hmm. so the thing is that you're working with families, you know, you're seeing parents, you're seeing families, you have to think contextually mm -hmm. uh, as part of being a clinical psychologist. Now, the challenge for me was the other way how can I think as a clinical psychologist as a family therapist <laughs> and it's kind of I suppose um, molded my integrated journey because you know I had to kind of open up you yeah. know when, when you're exposed to you know the contextual and and the what were the cybernetic and systemic you know perspective in family therapy you always are going beyond the individual and the person to the family context, the cultural context, wider, you know, to nature. I mean, of course, you know, we are all influenced by Gregory Bateson and he took us on that journey. But mind and nature are linked, you know, and our minds are very much a contextual uh, kind of entities formed by language, through language and dialogue. And so I guess for me, 
the challenge has been coming to terms with what was uh, kind of working with the individual, you know, in a clinical psychology setting, how you integrate that into a family therapy way of thinking and working. And I guess, you know, it's been fantastic in a way that I've seen clinical psychology open up to more contextual ways of thinking, particularly in the last five years. For example, if you go to the APS, look at their recommendations for what is evidence-based practice, you know, you'll see recommendations for working with uh, families and particularly in the last year, it's amazing. Mm, you know, mm. I've really taken on board the evidence base yeah. out there for family therapy. Um, so I guess the guiding principle for me has been what I've developed uh, in some of my papers, which is called an ethic of hospitality. So, you know, to explain that, basically it's the idea that there are all ways of thinking, all ways of of, of kind of uh, all perspectives, if you like, whether it's in clinical psychology, in CBT, in schema mm. therapy, in DBT, you know, mm. family therapy, all the models of family therapy, they're all interesting. Yeah. The question is how you deal with them, how you put them together in, in your own practice. And for me there, the guide is the person that you're working with. Because for each person, they're going to require a different configuration. They're going to kind of require you as a therapist to take on board uh, where they're at. And you're responding to that in a dialogue, if you like. Mm. And so, you know, uh, that's kind of basically where practice is, is the guiding uh, thing here for your theory. So uh, now there, I have a duty of care as well as a family therapist, to think contextually, to always go wider than the one person. And also, well, having come through, like we all did as family therapists, through the narrative therapy revolution, yeah. not to pathologize, you know, mm. to, to, and indeed, you know, what's fascinating now, of course, is the recovery movement, you know, which yeah. has taken that on board uh, in a much wider way politically and say, well, people are more than their illnesses. Mm. Yeah, sure, people can have a, a schizophrenia or, or a depression, but the, their person and their personal life can, can speak much more, much more widely. And that's what you engage with, you know, as, as, as a family therapist, as a clinical psychologist, that you're always engaging with the other, with the person, and you're interested in fostering a conversation. Uh, mm. you know, in doing that, I know I'm going on a bit here, uh, you still have a responsibility to help others in the most effective way possible. And that's where integration comes in because yeah. you're selecting, you're, you're, you're kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, for this particular person or family, you know, and I can give an example, uh, much of my working life is with adolescent depression, for mm. example, you know, mm. uh, and, you know, you can give, you can kind of think, well, what's going to be most effective in helping this person at this point of time? Now, I guess what I've found in my practice is giving voice to the person mm. is your first priority, giving space for the other person, you know, uh, to, to have a voice, to be able to tell their story, for, for you to connect with them at a personal mm. and mm. a more than a professional level. If anyone's worked with adolescents, you'll know that they can see through the bullshit. Yes, <laughs> you know? certainly can. And, 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 and probably vast majority, that they don't want to be given homework tasks or strategies, mm. you know. Mm. And I don't know how many adolescents I've worked with 
around mindfulness, for example, and you get them back and say, well, have you practiced this and da, da, da. Oh, no, 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 I haven't got to that yet. You know, mm. and, and so, but nonetheless, you know, you still have a duty of care there to point them in the right, right direction and you can call it psychoeducation, if you like, to tell yep. them about sleep hygiene, mm. you know. And, and I think in many ways that's kind of what we're seeing today, that clinicians are probably from whatever um, orientation are kind of working from a similar base. Um, mm. So that's what I found with my colleagues in working in child youth mental health, for example, clinical psychologists. Yeah. Many yeah. are trained and in family therapy approaches and mm. run clinics and work with, you know, they have a similar kind of uh, awareness, you know, of the need to work with the person, to go wider than the person, to work with parents and contextually, you know. And the whole question is how to balance that with a family therapy perspective, if you like. That's a really brilliant response. And you've put so much kind of depth into your response. So I've noted a couple of things here that really have stood out for me. You have a very strong kind of emphasis on talking about the use of language and the narrative of the client and being connected with the story of what is being spoken to you within a kind of a, a lens of also holding in mind what is needed for that client let's say the young person in this instance at this time in terms of keeping them safe so you might need to work with them in helping them manage whatever is their distress at that time and it might be some strategies but also kind of looking at well what else is happening and you use the word contextually and kind of going broader thinking mm -hmm. about the family and really trying to work in the connection in in connecting with the client and their wider system in order to activate change. And it, that is that how I understand the ethic of hospitality in kind of listening to what is being spoken to you and, and, and really working on the engagement? Totally. Uh, I think, I think uh, you are guided by the person you're working with, but at the same time, you have a duty of care to help them mm. look beyond. Yeah. Uh, whatever mental health issue they're striking with and they're trapped within, you know. For example, I mean, there's a brilliant kind of technique that, or not a technique approach called um, attachment-based family therapy, mm. which is, you know, mm. becoming much established in, across the world and uh, recognised for its efficacy in, in helping adolescent depression and a range of mental health issues. Now, one of the, the ways that therapy works and for a systemic family therapist this is music to the ears because this is mm. what a lot of systemic therapists have worked in that way working without even before attachment-based family therapy come mm. on and the people that originated people like guy diamond yeah were yep. systemic family therapists for years but they've kind of put it in a manualized form and and provided kind of studies to show it works but a, a basic kind of idea here is that to open up a teenager or a young person to hear, to listen, you know, to, to forgive, mm. you know, to understand, you know, to mm. open up a dialogue between parents and mm. the young person so that they can feel safe. Yeah. You know, to work out, I mean, their key question, of course, is, is what gets in the way of you going to your parents when you're feeling like hurting yourself or so feeling like mm. killing yourself, you know, what would mm. make it possible? I mean, that's a brilliant kind of uh, way of thinking about an ethic of hospitality. Yeah, uh, and I guess that's what you're doing with the client. 
you're also kind of thinking to yourself, well, how can I best help this person? What's going to help them maximise hmm. them kind of, uh, you know, looking beyond uh, what they're struggling with to seek help from family hmm. members or even from me, you know. And I think the prime consideration here is that if I can listen to another person, enhance their voice, their sense of agency hmm. uh, to be heard, you know, even by me, you know, mm. and to do that, I've got to be very careful about not imposing ideas and knowledge and uh, kind of my perspective on them, mm. be open to what, how they think. And somehow we have a conversation, much mm. like we're in a conversation now. I'm interested in, because you've named a number of different models and schools of thought, so going right back to psychodynamic, you know, gestalt, mm. body-centred work. Mnuchin in terms of thinking about the, the structure or, or where someone sits within their family and then talking about attachment-based family therapy and also being recovery-oriented. How do you know how to move between the different spaces? Like ah, well. that, that's, a, that's a, a skill, obviously, that must take years. But I'm just interested in kind of if you were sitting in the space of talking with a colleague or in supervision mm-hmm. and what kind of advice would you give in, in mm. how to approach that? I'm writing the paper. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been for quite a few years trying to figure that one out. That's a hard one. That's really difficult. In fact, you know, the Australian New Zealand Journal of Family Therapy has an issue coming out next March on integrative uh, yeah. approaches in family therapy. And I've got to write a paper for that issue. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, yeah, it's a, it's 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 a question uh, we're all grappling with in a sense. And I guess what I kind of realised, I mean, there are many ways to answer it, of course. But the one way that I've kind of answered it for myself is that you're talking about persons. Mm. You know, you're talking about the person of the therapist. And it's the person or the therapist that's doing the integrating in response to the person that you're working with, the the counsellee or or if you Uh, like, uh, you know. So in a sense, there are a whole lot of things that are coming into play here. Like, for example, being creative, Mm. opening up, being flexible, not Mm. being kind of stuck in a particular way of thinking that you think is going to work because of what you've read or what someone else has taught you or because of that's the model you've trained in Mm. to realize well you know maybe it's not going to work maybe i have to be open to other things working the great thing that client work teaches you it's a humbling experience and that's probably a key uh kind of approach and i i wrote about that many in one of my first papers in the 80s you know about humility you know Mm. as a therapist you've got to be prepared to to say, well, maybe what I'm thinking and what I want to do with this person is not going to work, mm. you know, mm. going to be effective. And, 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 you know, maybe I need to find out what that might be. So mm. it's kind of like an exploring. In a sense, this is the therapist modelling where they want the client to go, to open yeah. up, well, maybe this is not working in my life. Maybe I have to be uh, uh, approaching it from another way, you know. Mm. And, and so that kind of therapeutic flexibility, the creativity, theoretical diversity, and uh, I guess this is what I have uh, written a PhD on, you know. It, yeah, it's called yeah. uh, 
kind of uh, diff difference or difference. Mm. Of being mm. able to kind of think, well, there are many languages, many ways of thinking, many ways of being, of speaking, you know, and, and what's important to speaking. Mm. Uh, but, mm. but at the same time, I mean, you know, we, as I said, you know, we have to take, uh, uh, bear in mind, uh, uh, kind of a, a psychological Hippocratic oath. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. We, yep. we need to be effective, you know. What I take from what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that we need to hold in mind our evidence-based theories sort mm -hmm. of on one side, but alongside yep. that, and, and obviously holding that in mind, and when we're listening to the client thinking about how might I use some of the, the skills and knowledge that I already know about what is helpful in, in therapy, but on the other hand, what I need to do is to be playful and creative. And mm. if it be music or art or mm. story, mm. Um, maybe what I need to do is to play around a little bit with that as a way mm. of engaging with the client. If, yes. if, that, yes. if that might be a way of being in a better position alongside the client to work with them. Am I right in understanding it yes. from that perspective? I think play, and certainly in my case, you know, when I started off in uh, child youth, or back then it was called child guidance, yeah, <laughs> play therapy yeah. is, is what we did. You yeah, know? yeah. You know? And, and yeah. so, you know, you're very educated play. And I think that's missing from a lot mm. of uh, practitioners today, you know, because, I mean, what is play about? It's, it's about hearing and providing an opportunity for a child to tell you through play, through nonverbal means, mm. what mm. they're in the world's like, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think really it is about uh, being playful and being creative. Uh, but uh, what was your question? <laughs> well, I, I guess it's it's the holding in mind the evidence based. We're showing I, age here, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, holding in mind the evidence based kind of models of practice, and yeah, then yeah. holding. On the other side there, when we're working with a client or, yeah. or with a family, yeah. Yeah. Um, what other means of engagement might I be able to use? You know, uh, how do I draw from mm. other ways of thinking or, or I, even, and you use, the, you use the phrase, the person of the therapist. How do I use yeah. my reaction, my interpretation, yeah. my gut feeling about what is happening exactly. in the space? Yes, that, I think that's, you put it in very, probably better than I can. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a sense of humour. You're mm. engaging people from the word go. Uh, mm. But most importantly, you're stepping back a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you're not too keen to find a solution. Mm. You know, and that's what I mean. You have a responsibility, mm. you know, to yeah. help to guide people to a solution. Mm. Mm. Uh, but, you know, you're prepared to give it up you know, if it's not working. Well, and, and change needs to come from the client because, as you say, you can give all of these wonderful homework tasks or these worksheets to clients and you'll ask them when they come back, you know, have you tried and they'll say no, haven't even looked at it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. so it is about you're also mentioning there what I'm taking from that is in that collab collaborative approach, it is about the client coming to the solution. It is about helping them work out you need to guide that to some extent obviously mm. and when someone mm. is truly distressed and they need 
strategies in how to, to manage their distress, you may need to step in and, and give that. But it's also working collaboratively with the client to, to seek their own solutions um, yeah. in some way. That's right. And, and I guess there's a lot of agency that comes from that, you know, mm. and, and that's what you want for them to do in their own lives. So mm. if they can do it in therapy, that's the beginning. Mm. You know, and that's the danger, isn't it? That that, yeah. that, that, that you can provide tools which people won't use. That mm. uh, is very much a one-way street where, yeah. where kind of that, but if you can somehow engage them to think and, uh, and, and, and kind of work out uh, how change might be possible, yeah, that, that's kind of beginning a, a life journey for them, you know, mm. that yeah. they can kind of, um, you know, go on with. Uh, beyond therapy and and in some ways what we're talking about is beyond therapy you know yeah. because you know I mean after all what is therapy you know I mean it's about people's lives you know mm. Uh, mm. you know and it's kind of like challenging the normal conventions around therapy because I mean uh, I guess that's what I've found in supervising um, clinical psychologists you know in, in my career that my main kind of thing has been to uh, advise them to step back mm. from solving other people's problems mm. because that's what the training does. And this is the dilemmas of the yeah. discipline because, I mean, the discipline was all about establishing itself, you know, its credentials, you know. Mm. You know, mm. it's, it's about establishing itself as a profession, you know, that that, that kind of is evidence-based uh, and and that can you know be stand up there with psychiatry for example or medicine mm, you know mm. uh, and that's fair enough but at the same time there's a risk there that, that because in 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 working with people uh, from a counseling or therapeutic point of view the danger is that you take over and you yeah. and, and and you know sure you educate you, you use psychoeducation look don't get me wrong I mean you know. I will kind of use a lot of cognitive therapy, behavioral mm. therapy techniques, and you know books and and push point people in the direction. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to be careful not to impose a solution. Yeah. You know, uh, you've got to listen to the voice of the other and help them. You know, uh, kind of to go in direction. You know, and and, and it, that's where it's a conversation. But mm. I, I suspect that, that the people are becoming more aware of that. You know, the people are, there's a cross-fertilisation mm. between mm. disciplines. Mm. Um, mm. And even some of the, the, the newer kind of approaches like schema therapy, for example. I mean, it's really fascinating because in many ways that's old, you know. I mean, well, well yes, what's, <laughs> yes what's, was, what's new was, you know, yeah. it's a re-emphasis and a relabeling, but there's a, there's a yeah. commonality, there's a common, there's a common theme to the way of, of um, working therapeutically. So, yeah, yes, what's old is new again is what I some, sometimes say. Can I ask you a question? You talk a lot about integrative models of therapy and um, listening to the client and working with, with what they're ready for and, and uh, working towards change. Is there a difference between being eclectic and being integrative? Because I, I asked that question because I remember back in the 80s mm. uh, when I first started uh, working as a family therapist, I 
and it was very early in my career and only because I couldn't get a psychologist to supervise me in my first job. So I went to the social work department and they took me yeah. under their wing. And then when I went to apply for another job, um, mm. uh, moving on, I was told, don't say that you're eclectic because you, they'll, they'll think that you don't know what you're talking about. So mm. how do you define or, or mm. is there a difference between being eclectic and integrative and is one mm. a dirty word and one not? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, in fact, I think I was asked to make that distinction in one of my first papers. So you know, uh, what's what's the difference? And I think I did find it somewhere. Um, but, I'll have to go but, back. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go back and have a look. But but I mean, I, I guess to be integrative sort of is, it kind of implies some sort of uh, model of working, mm. some sort of scheme, okay. some yep. sort of uh, operational yep. kind of theory, you know, that you're working under, that you're using to integrate. Uh, whereas eclectic is is, is more um, you're choosing this technique or that technique or that mm. approach without having any overall frame yeah. or, yeah. or way of working. Um, mm. Now, what's interesting here is that I believe that that frame can be whatever frame you're trained in, mm. but mm. you're integrating it into the model. For example, you know, if you've trained in CBT, you know, mm. Well, mm. and, and we're seeing this. I mean, you can integrate bits of narrative therapy or, or kind of a way of thinking around working with families, mm. um, you know, uh, attachment-based family therapy, working with eating disorders, whatever. Mm. You know, we can bring mm. structural family therapy. Um, you know, and I think the integrated part happens under that theoretical umbrella. Right. Yes. But it also involves a journey of the therapist. Yes. Yes. Uh, you yes. Know, towards your working it out for yourself. Mm. You're on a journey mm. of, of trying to integrate, mm. you know, put it together, and uh, mm. you know, in your own training and your own development. Uh, whereas eclectic is is probably less mindful. A little, yeah, a bit of a grab bag, and, and I think that's an important point to pause on because for an early career clinician who will probably be trained in you know, maybe one main model, like, for example, CBT still is a dominant uh, model of practice that is taught within the universities, to then think about, well, how can I move forward? How do I, how do I integrate other models into, into, into my practice? So mm. your explanation has provided a really a good way to kind of think about how to, how to not do the grab bag kind of technique, but how to integrate and choose widely about how you might apply different ways of thinking under a theoretical um, kind of umbrella, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. And, and But that theoretical umbrella is evolving. Yes. And yes. So it's a personal development as a therapist, yes. you know, that you're going on because yeah. it's a lifetime, you know, of work. And, mm. you know, and that's where it's similar to what the client's doing because they've got models and uh, mm. ways of thinking. In a way, uh, you've got to be patient. Because mm. this is the interesting thing that to take on board a, a particular model or way of working, well, you know, it, it can involve quite a commitment, you know. Mm. Or when you think of people doing um, learning family therapy, you mm. know, how many different models are there? Yes. Overall, yes. you know, where to start? <laughs> what do you start with? But yeah. in a way, they've all evolved and developed and, and they all link with each other. And, and, and so, for people like us who have come through 
historically, mm. we can see, for example, the links between Milan, post-Milan systemic, yeah. and the dialogical current yeah. ways of thinking yeah. you know, in family therapy, um, you know, the open dialogue stuff. And I think that's a fascinating thing, that that's a, an evolving a, a development. So f- for a person beginning, you know, to take on board family therapy, and this is, I guess, you know, what I've had the opportunity to teach recently in, in Hetty and stuff like that, you know, for people, for example, working mm. with Sam's. Um, well, I mean, you've got to be patient and, mm. and choose one particular model that you're not familiar with and go with that. Mm. And then, you know, let it develop, let it sink in. It just takes time to kind of work in any particular model. But I think you've got to have the understanding that whatever you choose, it's not necessarily the best one, <laughs> I mean, mm. you know, because I mean, that's what everyone else thinks, you know, and there's so many different ways of working in psychotherapy. Mm. Mm. Well, you've got you've got to feel um, an attachment to the model. You've got to believe in it and it and it needs mm. to be something mm. that you feel comfortable. That resonates. In, with you. Yeah, that, that resonates for Good you. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm interested in going back to the person of the therapist, which uh-huh. is a particular interest of mine, oh, yeah. and how you know yourself as a therapist, you know, how, how to read your reactions in the therapy room. You know, can, can you maybe comment on, well, I, I guess whether first you you kind of look for transference and counter-transference within um, within the therapy room and then how you might use that in the way that you um, assess kind of the feel or the tone, the milieu of the, of, of the way that you're working and, and how you might use that to kind of alter the direction of, of, your, of your therapy. Oh, that's the most powerful instrument or, or tool mm. that the therapist has in many ways because you're in touch with yourself. And mm. I think that's what that, what that speaks to. Of course, we know that there's a great kind of literature out there, you know, mm. people like Carmel Flaskus, mm. you know, mm. Peter mm. Rover, for example, mm. yep. about yep. the person, the therapist and, and reflection. It's a whole mm. notion of reflection, being yep. reflective, you know, you know, being in the room with the person and taking on board, you know, mm. what's going on, you know. And this in psychoanalysis, of course, is what the analyst does, you mm. know, and that's the, one of the advantages of having some exposure to a psychoanalytic or psychodynamic way of working, mm. you know, because mm. you, you're attuned to the person. It's basically mm. about being attuned, you know. Um, it's a bit like they say with the mother being attuned to the baby, you know. Mm. Yeah. You're opening up, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of allowing you as a person to feel what the other's feeling. It's empathy. Mm. As you know, Ron. Um, yes. Uh, is very much, uh, you know, uh, written some great stuff on that. And, and, and so it's about empathy and understanding. And, but by being in the room, uh, it's allowing you to be in touch with your emotions and your feelings as well. Yeah. And to take on board, you know, in a sense, holding what yes, your yes, emotional yes. struggle is going on, you know, and you're containing it. And this is the idea of the container in psychoanalysis mm. from Wolfram Beyond, I guess, you know, and, and so you're holding it and you're dealing with it and often, you know, you might be left with it as a therapist. Mm. You, out, you know, mm. you've got to process it. Mm. And as Beyond would say, you're thinking the thoughts and yeah. the for the others. Mm. Um, 
So do I you share it with the client? Do you do you share your reactions? Now that's a very good point. I like that because often that is the most powerful intervention hmm. in an interactional way that you can do, where you're hmm. having thought, you're becoming aware of an emotion. Hmm. Um, and and I can give you an example here. In fact, I wrote a book chapter on this uh, of working with a, a teenage boy who suffered a lot of anxiety uh, and uh, he um, basically was haunted by the ghost of his father who left mm. him and he never saw him. Um, and, and kind of, you know, I was reminded of my own childhood, you know, because my father left at a similar age. Mm. And, and, and kind of, it kind of came out in a really strange way, you know, where I made a, a kind of a gaffe you know, mm. we're talking about TV, you know, um, and 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 I called them rabbit's ears or something like this. You know, <laughs> he just broke up laughing, you know, and 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 made fun of me, you know, you know, and 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 kind of it reminded me, uh, in a sense, that the pain that he was dealing with, it it it, re, it kind of re resonated with my, mm. you know, and there was something that happened there, you know, yeah. and it's unconscious, you know. And so that unconscious process can happen and can be very powerful. Mm. Um, and in fact, I ended up making a kind of an interpretation with the family there and him. Yeah. And so it's 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 almost like the ghost of your father is walking through the house, you mm. know, and 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 maybe that's underneath somehow triggering the anxiety, the trauma, if mm. you like. Mm. And of course, you know, I mean, what triggered that was triggered by my trigger, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, my yeah. Process, you know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's of course the advantages of, um, you know, psychologists having their own therapy. I was in psychodynamic therapy for quite a few years. It's a lovely example that you share there uh, again about being reflexive in the moment, not, not just reflective, but being reflexive in the moment and noticing a reaction within yourself in the space and then having confidence to, to kind of share that um, in that space. And, and obviously that comes with time and practice, but, but it would be something that I would invite clinicians to kind of think about how to, to even just to begin to recognize their own reactions when they're in the therapy room and if they don't have the confidence to necessarily use it on the spot to think about how they might be able to use that um, as a way of, of, of engagement and working collaboratively but but something mm -hmm. that you mentioned that I think is important to kind of pick up on is the question of 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 knowing yourself and some uh, professions uh, require that you undergo your own analysis or your own therapy. Mm. Many don't. And I guess it's just a, yeah, I guess it's a, I don't know whether it's a question or it's a reflection. I guess it's a question. What's your thinking around the importance of a therapist knowing themselves and perhaps their trigger, you know, their red lights, um, their, their trigger oh, yeah. spots? Yeah, well, obviously, it's very important. I mean, because, you know, especially in working with more than one person with families, yeah, you can often kind of find yourself in a situation which reminds you of your family of origin, of course, mm, mm. you know, and triggers certain things for you. And, and this can happen unconsciously. So mm. if everything that you can work through in relation to your own family is going to mm. help you deal with that, you know, mm. and, and sort of that's going to help you 
be effective as a person, uh, as a person, and mm. your therapy, you know. Um, but uh, it just reminded me that there's actually a, a Norwegian professor of family therapy in Oslo. I went and visited him about three or four years ago, and he wrote a lovely paper per Arn, A-R-N-E is his name. Mm. He wrote this amazing paper where he always kind of was saying that the self of the therapist and the self of the client somehow come together in a common mm. journey in every mm. therapeutic encounter. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in some ways, you know, we do grow as therapists, you know. Mm. Every therapeutic uh, encounter we have, every therapy it can change us. As Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And, and that's, I think, something that early career clinicians can take on board to, to learn from the clients, both their successes and their failures. What can I take from this experience? What, what, how has my encounter with this client or this family yeah. um, taught me something about engagement about asking questions about interventions about yeah. how to position myself um, yes. Um, yes. differently maybe in moving forward I think I think that's a lovely uh, totally, totally. Yeah. a lovely point that you raised there and that's um, in getting back to I just my memory has come back I just remembered your question <laughs> you know <laughs> because I mean in a way those blocks you know what we call resistance yes you know or, or kind of those situations where we struggle the most with most pain as a therapist where we walk out of the session feeling horrible what what you know what did i say that for or you know that that was such a bad session or the, you know whatever they are the learning points for us yeah as, as to, to go forward but they're also the learning points for the family in some way yeah we're dealing yeah. with a pain there that's mm. being expressed in that, mm. you know, mm. and 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 so that's where the psychoanalyst would say, well, is this pain I'm experiencing now, you know, some, how's it related to what the family or the person yeah. brought to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so they are great ways to go forward. Yes. To, yes. To be reflexive about it. Yes, and, and, and that's the important, to, to create space because we are working in such a high-paced, um, high, highly stressed environment now, and particularly many in private practice, it's one after the other, and you must create a, a, a reflective space to allow for you to think about, well, what's, what's just happened? You know, what can I take from this encounter? How might I internalise this and use this in moving forward and developing my skills and my knowledge. And we're not going to do that with every client, obviously, in every session. No. You yeah. Know, because yeah. something, you know, it's impossible when you've yeah. got such a volume of work. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but, but maybe maybe we can be selective about it and hmm. use particular learning opportunities. But yeah. then maybe other clients, the difficult ones, you know, were forced to. And I guess that's where we go to supervision. And, and that's, yeah, 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 yeah. We're nearly at the end of our time together, and I guess I just want to ask in ending this conversation, what would be your kind of parting message or your statement that you would like to make to clinicians in thinking about the importance of working with the client and context, you know, and I mean context, not just family, I guess also 
environmental context, culture, diversity. What do you think is really important for, for clinicians to hold in mind when working therapeutically? Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I mean, we're reminded, of course, by the current time of the, you know, COVID-19, mm. the importance mm. of context, you know, mm. and that's kind of, well, you know, open up, you know, a, a much wider perspective, you know, that is beyond the individual, mm. you know, the mm. whole question about being connected. Um, but I, I think um, it's quite interesting that despite being a family therapist and working contextually and thinking contextually, a lot of my work is with individuals, mm. you know, and so you can carry a contextual way of thinking and working mm. in that way. So I think uh, that you can maybe think contextually uh, and think more widely, you know, whether it's uh, in terms of cultural languages uh, or uh, kind of, you know, narratives that come down, you know, through the media, you know, through, mm. through, through kind of, you know, what people are struggling with that has a wider story, if you like, you know, mm. uh, that, 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 and this is where narrative therapy is fantastic too, to be aware of uh, that it's, it's always much wider than mm. the person and even the immediate family context. It goes mm. to the culture, to the community, yeah, uh, you know, and possibly beyond, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, one thing that uh, we had an issue on was, for example, spirituality mm. and family mm. therapy, you know, how do we engage people, you know, beyond, uh, you know, even a materialistic yes. way of thinking to engage them in a spiritual and sense mm. of hope and meaning and purpose. Mm. So, yeah, I think uh, contextual kind of for me means pointing to nature and you know mm. there's a kind of very interesting volume of work developing in this area now kind of like ecotherapy of yeah forests, you know and stuff like that and there's people like paul rhodes to mm. psychology at Sydney uni you know who's very much yep. he talks about the post-human you know, mm. beyond the human to the animal to the wider nature. And of course, that's mm. what Gregory Bateson, the father of yes, therapy, was went about. right around. <laughs> well, I mean, it never left there. And, and that's what we're still being inspired by. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that, that nature is kind of such a powerful kind of part of who we are, mm. that we're not alone, that we are connected mm. uh, in our cells, in our biology. But also, you know, in our kind of minds and spirits. Mm, mm. And so that's a, a lovely way to finish up because I think it does, in a sense, bring us back to that point of the position that you take in the um, the ethic of hospitality in 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 being open and listening and inclusive and listening to the client and and just being mindful of, of how to incorporate both self, the client, context, and as you've just ended this conversation, and nature as well, and that might be for another discussion. Um, <laughs> right. Well, that <laughs> takes us into this whole dimension about the climate, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe for another time. So look, okay. thank you very much, Glenn. Um, All right. I've really appreciated being in this space today with you oh yes same yeah, uh, it's so, been an engaging conversation yeah so thank you 